Blog Talk Radio. And I Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This podcast is made possible by Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today our guest is Dr. Thomas Bird. Dr. Bird is a clinical neurogeneticist with interest in a wide range of hereditary disorders of the nervous system. In 1974, Dr. Thomas Bird founded the first clinic for adults with neurogenetic diseases in the United States. For more than 40 years, he directed this clinic at the University of Washington, where he saw thousands of patients and conducted pioneering research on conditions such as cerebellar ataxia, movement disorders, hereditary neuropathy, muscular dystrophies, and familial dementias. Over his career, he has been honored with numerous national awards and lauded for his discoveries about the genetics of hereditary neurological disorders, including Alzheimer's and Huntington's disease. Although retired from clinical practice, Dr. Bird still actively researches genetic diseases of the brain and neuromuscular system, collaborates with molecular biologists and other genetic projects, and mentors physicians in training and research fellows. He earned his MD from Cornell Medical College and is board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. He lives in Lake Forest Park, Washington, just outside Seattle with his wife, Rod. Dr. Bird, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hi, uh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So before we get into your recently published book about Huntington's, I wanted to ask, why did you choose neurology? And specifically, why did you choose Huntington's disease? Uh, Well, neurology, I've always been interested in uh, behavior, changes in people's behavior uh, and how changes in the brain can alter the way people think and behave. That's always fascinated me. I majored in psychology in college, and I was mentored by a clinical psychologist who also was very interested in behavior. And then when I went to medical school in, at Cornell in New York City, I had a summer job working for a very famous American neurologist. And that's when I learned what neurology was and began to hear about and see patients with diseases of the brain. And I was just completely fascinated by it. And I realized that that's what I wanted to specialize in. And then when I got to the University of Washington in Seattle, I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out that that was a a hotbed of interest in what's called medical genetics. So it was founded by a a very prominent physician named Dr. Motulski, who was interested in genetic, all genetic diseases, and thought that there needed to be more 
uh, interest and focused on genes and the diseases that they caused. And this was back in the 1950s before that was given very much thought. Uh, and so I ran into Dr. Moltolsky and his group when I was a resident in neurology. And, uh, and so I started seeing patients in the UW Medical Genetics Clinic, and it turned out one of the most common diseases they saw in that clinic was Huntington disease. There were, well, there was lots of it in the Pacific Northwest. No one knew exactly why, but there was, and many families came in. And I began to see people with this amazing genetic disease of the brain called Huntington's that I had never, hardly ever seen before. Uh, and I became totally fascinated by it. And so when I started my clinic for um, adults with genetic diseases of the brain and nervous system. I just naturally saw lots of families with Huntington's and that started me on this, uh, this journey of seeing hundreds and hundreds of families with Huntington's over a 45 year period. And I became uh, intrigued and fascinated by it. And it just uh, kept rolling along and the, the patients just kept coming in. So um, I'm, I'm just going to ask a, an off question from this. So, you know, you were intrigued with Huntington's and everything, and you, but you also saw patients with, al with Alzheimer's and, and other diseases. Um, do you feel one was more interesting than the, than the other? Is it because, you know, Huntington's is strictly genetic um, that it makes it more intriguing? Well, they're all, all the diseases are interesting. I, I'm fascinated by all of them. But the, the, I think the special thing about Huntington's was the huge variety. You, you can go to a textbook and read a chapter on Huntington's, or you can look it up on the Internet and read several pages about it, and you think you know about the disease. You think you know what it is. It's described. And then when you start seeing patients and families with it, you realize you have a lot to learn. The uh, The manifestations of the disease are extremely wide-ranging. Uh, every patient is different from every other one, and sometimes in very major ways. So that made it particularly interesting. And then a big problem in Huntington's, as you know, is behavior problems, all kinds of difficulties with behavior. Uh, and that makes the disease very challenging for the families and the caretakers. And I became extremely interested in what was driving all these all these different behaviors that people can have with Huntington's. And it, it's uh, it's much more variable and much more unpredictable and much more strange in many ways than diseases like. Um, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, where it's a it's a bit more predictable. So I, I was fascinated by the the huge behavioral aspect of Huntington's. And, and you recently had a book published in March, um, which focuses on Huntington's. The title is "Can You Help Me Inside the Turbulent World of Huntington's Disease?" What inspired the title? So the the title has two parts. Uh, the main title is "Can You Help Me." And what inspired that was a letter that I received very early in my career. I'd, I'd established the clinic, and it was known that we were seeing lots of families with Huntington's disease. And I received this letter in the mail, uh, and the very first sentence of the letter was, can you help me? 
and it turned out that it came from a man who was an inmate in the uh, state penitentiary uh, in Walla Walla, Washington. And he went on to say in his letter that he had Huntington disease, uh, that he knew he had it, that he had symptoms of it, that he was worried about it. He knew it was progressive. He was feeling isolated. He was feeling abused. He was feeling uh, mistreated and um, pushed aside and uh, by the uh, the other uh, inmates in the in the institution. He was very very worried and concerned, and he wanted to know when he got out of the state penitentiary, would there be a place where he could go where the doctors knew about Huntington's disease and could help him? And so he, his letter started out, "Can you help me?" Uh, and that just struck me as this sort of, uh, you know, cry from the wilderness of a man who was very isolated and lonely, but was suffering from Huntington's disease. And and then he turned up in my clinic, actually, a few months later, he got out of prison much faster than anybody anticipated. And so I followed him for uh, once he got out of uh, out of prison and turned out to be an extremely interesting man. So that's where the title came from, Can You Help Me? And then the subtitle inside the turbulent world of Huntington's disease, I chose that term turbulent because that's that's the way I think Huntington's goes frequently but for both the patients and for their families and for their caregivers. It can be a very turbulent experience. It's unpredictable. People bounce around with all kinds of problems and uh, and and get stirred up and stir up their their friends and neighbors and and families and so it can, it can be a very difficult disease to follow particularly because of their behavioral problems so it really was it was a turbulent experience for the patients and the families and it was a turbulent experience for the caregivers so uh, that's why I use those terms for the title and it's very interesting. Um, well, can you tell us a little bit about your book? I know that in the book you delve into the history of Huntington's as well as share accounts of some of your patients, correct? Yes. Yeah, so it, the book is not for doctors or professionals. It's it's written for the uh, the general community. Uh, and my idea was to help educate the general community about this disease, Huntington disease. I think it's an amazing disease that the general person uh, in the uh, in the community knows almost nothing about. They may have heard of Woody, Woody Guthrie, and that's it. So it's a it's a very important disease. It's a model for a lot of different things in science and in medicine and in neurology and in uh, mental health. So it's a very important model, but people know very little about it. So I. The whole purpose is to explain the disease as best I can from my experience. So to do that, I start out with a couple of introductory chapters uh, about the disease because people know almost nothing about it. So who was George Huntington and how did he uh, uh, first describe the disease uh, almost 150 years ago? Uh, and then what's happened to people with Huntington's over the the, the 20th century and the connection with uh, state uh, mental institutions because patients often ended up there, particularly in the first half of the 20th century. And then the core of the book is 
short chapters, short vignettes about uh, interesting, fascinating, unusual, and difficult patients with Huntington's disease that I've seen over the years and try to explain the huge uh, variety that that disease encompasses and how amazing that's been for me and for the uh, for their families. I have to say I'm very, very excited to start reading it. Um, I just download, downloaded it earlier this week from Amazon. I purchased it on Amazon, and, um, and I'm really looking forward to starting it uh, and reading those accounts. Um, what would be one of your most memorable accounts that we would find in the book? Um, well, there, there are several things that I think are both memorable and important. One of the most memorable that people who have read the book are often comment on, as I describe in some detail, a case of juvenile Huntington's. So it always surprises people to hear about the, the ends of the age spectrum for this disease. Uh, um, they're amazed to know that small children can develop the disease. They're also amazed to hear that senior citizens can develop the disease. So I describe in some detail um, a seven-year-old girl who, whose mother died with the disease, uh, and she began to have symptoms when she was around seven years old and slowly progressed. Uh, and the story is not only her story, but it's also about her teacher and her classmates in school and how they learned about the disease, and they rallied around her. Her favorite color was pink, and so they called her Princess in Pink, and they made their own little book about her story, and the title of the book was Princess in Pink, and they were extremely supportive and very important to the the welfare and the quality of life for this young girl as she slowly progressed with the disease. So that, that often... Is uh, is mentioned as, a, as an important and memorable chapter in the book, and then I also talk quite a bit about uh, the vulnerability of people with HD. It's often obvious because of their behavior or their movements or both that there's something wrong with them, uh, and that's quickly recognized by the people around them, and they often get uh, abused. Uh, I have patients who have been beaten up and robbed because they looked vulnerable. I've had, I had a man who was shot and killed by his roommate because he was vulnerable. Uh, people are accused of being drunk and intoxicated when they're not. It's just their movements. A, a, a guy got kicked off a, a metro bus because the driver thought he was drunk and he just had Huntington's disease. So, um, those are very memorable things too. And then the, the other piece that I spend some time describing is that the the, uh, the characteristic of deny of what's called denial but it's actually lack of awareness so it's very common for people with Huntington's not to be aware of their problems so they they're not aware of their movements they're not aware of their behavior they're not aware of their mental uh, illness aspects uh, and so it's very hard to care for them and to talk to them because they think there's nothing wrong and that lack of awareness is uh, is very common in Huntington. So I think that strikes people as being a memorable part of the disease as well. Do we know why they have a lack of awareness? You know, you just brought up a really good point in that it's not 
denial. It's an actual lack of awareness. And, I mean, what would be behind that? Boy, that's a great question, and it's, it's really not known. Um, it can happen to other diseases. Sometimes people with Alzheimer's are not aware of their problems, but it's very common in Huntington's. And it was initially called denial, but you're right to make that point. They're, they're not conscious of this uh, phenomenon. They, they simply really don't realize that they have the movements. They don't realize they have the behavior aspects. They don't realize they're having the mental problems. Um, and it must have something to do with the areas of the brain that are affected by this disease. It must have something to do with the, the caudate nucleus that's uh, especially hit hard deep in the brain. It may have something to do with the frontal lobes that are also affected by the disease. Um, but but really why they have that lack of awareness, that's really not, not understood at, at the neuroscience level. Well, it definitely makes me appreciate more, you know, it's easy for us as caregivers because I'm also a caregiver. Um, it's easy to sit there and go, well, you know, he's denying he's got any symptoms when it really isn't that, when it's that lack of awareness he's not even realizing he has. And it makes me step back and kind of rethink how I approach a situation. So I really right. appreciate you. Don't... you. Delving into you don't that. want you don't want to get angry at the person because you realize that they don't they don't understand what's happening, uh, and so you have to just exactly. kind of work around. You just have to kind of work around it. And uh, I think the key is to just to keep them safe if they're if they're doing things they shouldn't be doing because of their lack of awareness, like like driving or for example. Um, then you need to, the, the the paramount thing is to make them safe. Don't argue with them, but just be sure that they're not getting into trouble because of their lack of awareness. Right, exactly. Um, so I was reading a recent interview you did with Robin Lindley, and one question he asked uh, really stood out to me, and I'd like to ask it of you again if that's okay. Um, and the question was, you describe how the healthcare system often falls through for Huntington's people and they don't get required care. What changes would you like to see with our healthcare system? Yeah, healthcare is a big problem for patients with Huntington's, and there are many aspects to it. One is that most physicians don't know much about Huntington's disease. It's it's uncommon enough that most general physicians go through a career and never see a patient with Huntington's, and even specialists, psychiatrists and neurologists who should know a lot about Huntington's often don't know much about it. So that, that's a big piece is education of the healthcare community. They need to know more about the disease and how to care for the people. And then another aspect is that, as you know, Huntington's on the average hits people right in their, their peak of life. It often comes on in the 40s and 50s. Uh, when people are putting together their families, their careers, their finances, uh, and they can quickly be financially and economically and socially devastated by this disease. And so if you don't have a health care system that can provide good health care to people who are destitute, uh, that's a problem. And I don't think our country yet is all that good 
at taking care of people who have no uh, reasonable financial resources. So I think we have to do better at that. And then another piece of that is the mental health system. That uh, it's, it's interesting that Huntington's is clearly a brain disease. There's no question that it affects the brain and is what's called an organic brain disease. But the manifestations are often mental and psychiatric. Uh, and so the Huntington's people often end up being uh, cared for in the mental health system, in mental health clinics, in mental health hospitals, by mental health caretakers. Uh, and our mental health system is not well organized or well funded. Um, and that that's important too. We need more psychiatrists. We need more uh, psychiatric social workers. We need more psychiatric nurses. We need better medications with fewer side effects. So there's there's a lot more that needs to be done with, with people who have severe behavioral and mental problems, which is often the case with Huntington's disease. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I do know that we can get your book on Amazon because that's where I purchased it. But do you have other places that we can go to get your book? Yeah, I think the easiest place is Amazon. It's also it's also on Kindle, so it can be uh, uh, downloaded uh, visually. You don't have to have the hardcover, so you can get it through Kindle. Uh, it should be available in bookstores. If your bookstore doesn't have it, you should tell them they should get it. Uh, the same with libraries. Some libraries carry it, some don't, but you can request that your library purchase it and make it available. It's it's a pretty new book. It just came out uh, in March. So there are a lot of places that don't have it yet. It's published by Oxford University Press. It can be ordered directly from Oxford University Press uh, as well. But between Oxford Press and Amazon and Kindle and bookstores, uh, it should be pretty pretty readily available. It's it's not a long book. It's 200 and some pages, so it's it's not like reading the the biography of Hamilton or Grant that goes on for 700 or 800 pages. <laughs> it's it's more concise than that. And it also it also has quite a few illustrations. I tried to put some visual interest in it. So there are some I think very um, uh, interesting and important illustrations for for many of the chapters that would be helpful to the general reader. I can't wait to read it and delve into it. I actually did it as Kindle, so um, hopefully I can get started on that this week when I'm flying to Louisiana. Uh, do you have any other thoughts or comments to share with the Huntington's community before we wrap up? So a couple of things that I want to I want to mention that a, a number of people who read the book have said, "Oh, Doctor Bird, that that disease is so depressing. Your book is depressing, and it probably is for some people. I mean, the the reason we want to cure Huntington's is because it's a terrible disease, um, and it can be depressing to read about people struggling, particularly in the uh, the middle and end stages of the disease. But uh, I I felt that if I that if I tried to make it a happy disease, that would be uh, candy coating it, uh, which would be inappropriate. You got to tell it like it is. Uh, but I do have a chapter in there that I, that was very important to put in, <clears throat> called the Greatest Generation. And in there, I describe a lot of people I've seen who we know 
have inherited the gene for Huntington's but have very valuable productive lives. It's not that you can't have an important, useful, productive, valuable, enjoyable life with the Huntington's gene. That definitely happens. I called it the greatest generation because I had two uh, World War II veterans uh, who had very successful careers in the Army and then later when they got out and they didn't develop signs of the disease until they were in their 80s. And so they had amazing lives and did very well. And um, and it was only later on that they got Huntington's. But even people who develop it uh, in midlife, like Woody Guthrie, can be very valuable and protective people for the community and for their families. So I, I emphasize some of the uh, the positive aspects of the disease as well. And it's also important to remember that this, as I said at the beginning, this is a model disease. It's a model for genetic diseases of the brain. It's a model for what's called autosomal dominant uh, Mendelian uh, diseases. It's a model for these um, CAG repeat expansion diseases genetically that are now people are attempting to actually treat them genetically. So it's although it's not a common disease, it's very important from a, a neuroscience uh, and a human genetic uh, aspect. And people need to realize uh, how important the, the disease is to the, the greater medical community. And it's also important to, to um, know that it's a model for uh, health care in our mental health system. If we can't take care of people with Huntington's, we're going to have a problem with all kinds of people with degenerative diseases of the brain, like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and ALS and so forth. So uh, it, it, Huntington's is a very important disease, and it's important for the community to know that, and it's important for the families with HD to realize that. That's awesome. So I, Katie actually told me that you will be at um, the Help for HD event in Las Vegas. Is that correct? That's right. I think it's in October. Yes, it is. Well, I cannot wait to meet you as I'll be there. Um, and I just am so grateful that you came on to the show today and talked with me. And um, thank you so much for taking your time. I'm also going to be at the HDSA convention in Boston the end of this month. Oh, great. Oh, that'll be great. I know a lot of people people are going to be there. I wish I could make it. Um, but I have a one-year-old, so it's a little bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, thank you so much, and you have a great day. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on your program. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.